genius, in fact. He's called himself a genius. Now, Muhammad Ali, of course, what did he, he famously, do you remember what he said about himself? He said, I am the greatest, but it's what he said after that, which I love so much. He said, I am the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. <laughs> what a great line. Love it. <laughs> even before I knew I was. It makes sense, but that's okay. Um, what does it mean to be great? What does it mean to be great? Well, Jesus, of course, has much to say about what it means to be great. And so today, let's have ears that listen and hearts that are open to his word. Today, we're going to listen to these, you're going to hear these radical countercultural words of Jesus from Mark 10, the rhetoric from Andrew a moment ago. Words that are not just words for Jesus, but they're, they're, they're lived out in action as well. Jesus said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all so today's our fourth uh, in our fourth talk or week in our series that we just called reset resetting so five healthy habits of growing Christians five healthy habits of faithful Christians and this time today we're talking about service so how about I pray and, and ask God to help us with this with his word in front of us and then uh, we'll continue on. So, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you're a God who speaks. We pray that you would, uh, today, uh, you challenge us and we would see the wonder and, and power and wisdom of the cross of Christ and we'd see that how that changes how we behave, how we live. In Jesus' name. So you yeah, have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 10 or a phone or whatever you're using. Uh, there's an outline there and we will, at the end, get a chance to ask any questions, make any comments or anything like that. 
You can see the outline, there are four headings. The first one is the humiliation of God's King. So our scene opens up with Jesus resolutely walking towards Jerusalem. If you've got your Bibles open, have a look at verse 32 with me. 32 and 33. You notice that Jesus is leading the way. You see that? In fact, that's, that's not an uncommon sight in those days with a teacher leading the way and his disciples or followers sort of tailing on behind. But here, we see that the disciples are astonished and that his followers are in fear. So why? Why is there, why are they, why is there fear? Why is there astonishment? Because well, Jesus had walked these roads before, right? He'd, done, he'd, been, he'd been here before. It couldn't have just been that he and consequently those who were with him were heading towards hostile Jerusalem where the chief priests and teachers of the law were plotting his downfall. Couldn't just be that. And although Jesus had already predicted his violent death, betrayal and rejection back in chapter 8 verse 31 and 9 verse 31, the disciples didn't really understand at this point what he really meant. Um, hence Jesus' repetition. It's the third time he said about his suffering and what's going to happen. The fear and astonishment could not therefore be tied up with his looming violent death and rejection. For in their failure to understand Jesus' predictions, they were not expecting a harsh welcome in Jerusalem. It seems instead something simply about Jesus on that day that was causing this fear and astonishment. Could it be just with the, the way he talked, the way he walked with them, that resolute walk? Something was different. Something had stirred up fear and astonishment in them. And perhaps it was just something simple about his presence and his authority that day. Yeah, I do wonder what it was like to walk with him that day. But Jesus knew what was going on, as we'll see in a moment. What was it like? Perhaps there was such a purpose in his face, in his walk, in his, in his manner, that caused this people's reaction. But of course, Jesus, well, Jesus... He was walking to his death. He knew that. Read in a moment in verse 45, that's why Jesus came. He came to die. And this, is, this was no ordinary death. Well, this was a humiliating death. Uh, a death that no one would wish on their worst enemy. A death so lowly that even, you know, this was reserved for the lowest of commons, this sort of death that he was sentenced to. But not only his death, but betrayal and rejection from those who stood against him, are people he came to save, but also from those who stood alongside him, who he loved and spent the last three years with, who he walked with, who he ate with. So let's pick things up in verse 33. Jesus said, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he rise. Now, so far in Mark's Gospel, uh, the reader has been encouraged to ask this key question. And that key question is just simply, well, who is this man? Who is this man who walks on water, who heals the sick, who makes the lame walk, who calms the storm, who feeds the 5,000 with just a five loaves of, loaves of bread and, and two fish, who teaches with such authority that people from all walks of life stop 
and, and listen. A man who claims to forgive sin, that's something that only God can do. Who is this man? The conclusion is, well, the conclusion is that this man is no ordinary man. Uh, this man is God. And in an extraordinary way, this, that's exactly what Jesus is saying in verses 33 and 34. He's saying that he is God. See, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. Now that's code, Old Testament code, the Son of Man. It's a reference to a messianic figure back in Daniel to the 7, where God's King who will come is described. But this King, this Messiah, this Christ, all means the same thing. This King who would be God's King, but God's King who would rule forever. It's not like David, not like any other, other kings. This King would rule forever. Jesus is picking up on that language of the Messiah, the Son of Man. Yet this same King who will rule forever will be a suffering King. A King who would be betrayed by his own people. A King who would be rejected, despised condemned to death, mocked, spat on, a king who fulfills the prophecies from Isaiah 53, from Psalm 22. God's king, humiliated. But once again, proving their lack of understanding, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which I think sounds more like an 80s glamour rock band, but that's just me, um, they, they pipe up and they... They request something of Jesus. In fact, it's more of a demand, isn't it? See what they say? They say they want Jesus to do whatever they ask. Imagine that. Going to Jesus saying that. Well, Jesus patiently responds in verse 36. Have a look at verse 36. What do you want me to do for you? He asks. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can I drink the cup I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard this, they became indignant with James and John. So it seems that James and John see in Jesus' resolute walk up to Jerusalem the walk of a political and military victor. And they want in on it. Israel would once again rule under King Jesus. And they wanted the glory. They wanted to sit at his right or left. They wanted honour and power. Uh, they wanted greatness. You might remember back in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 11... There's a story of the, the, the account of the Tower of Babel. And the, we read of the people rejecting God's ways and instead building a tower to, to reach the heavens. And you might remember, do you remember what, what they wanted? Well, they wanted to make a name for themselves, these people. They want to make a name for themselves. You can't, I don't know, you can't help but making comparisons with the, the race to build, I love this sort of thing, the race to build or indeed possess the tallest skyscraper in the world. Uh, the politics behind it is so much fun, particularly between um, a couple countries here. But you've got the Dubai's 828 metre uh, Burj Khalifa, 
Uh, or you've got the, um, the Shanghai Tower in China at a measly 632 metres. <laughs> what a joke. Um, and then you've got the proposed Kingdom Tower in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Now, that's planned to be over 900 metres high. Now, they haven't got around a building yet for all sorts of reasons, but there's great competition between uh, Saudi Arabia and UAE and other countries too. You see, they want to make a name for themselves. That's what they want. They, they, they want greatness. And I, that's human nature, isn't it? That's human nature. It's not hard for us, personally, to fall into a similar trap. I mean, we're not going to go and build a skyscraper, or maybe you are one day, who knows. Uh, but it's not hard to fall into that, 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 that personal trap, that, that personal glory, uh, my own power, praise and honour, a name on a plaque, I don't know, in the paper, um, more Instagram likes, more followers on Facebook. My, I'm more important, my rights, me first, to make a name for myself. Or maybe it's just simply recognition. I really want to be recognised. I've worked really hard here. I really want people to know what I'm doing, how hard I've worked. It's not hard to fall into that trap. Well, friends, in the next few minutes, Jesus will challenge our hearts. Jesus will challenge our motivations. If we're prepared to listen to these, have your minds on something else now. Bring it back. Bring it back to the Word of God, because Jesus is going to speak to us. And we're going to be challenged. So you're ready. You're ready for that. Okay, well, let's go back to Mark 10, verse 37. Jesus was, of course, right to say to them, you don't know what you're asking when you ask to sit at Jesus' left or right in glory. Right here? Yes. The, the glory of God's king, you see, was eternal. Not, not temporary like the kings of this world. Sitting at Jesus' right or left in honour and glory was not even for him to decide. It was for his Father in heaven. And for him to, for him to get there, that is his glory... He must drink the cup. Now that's a reference, an Old Testament reference. Uh, drink the cup of suffering. And he must be baptised, but that's a baptised in death. It's a reference to where he's going, where he's resolutely walking up to Jerusalem. It's a reference to the cross. James and John in their ignorant exuberance, nice way to put it, I suppose, mixed with pride and ambitious desire to be great, just didn't understand this. But nor did the other ten. Look at the ten, they became indignant. They're showing their maturity as they become indignant with these two disciples. They were angry with these two disciples. Effectively, these two disciples, James and John, had Q jumped, right? They had jumped in. They pushed in in front of James and John, um, in front of the rest of the disciples, and um, those disciples were not, not happy. But Jesus says to James and John in verse 39, you will, like me, go through the same baptism and drink that same cup. You will, like me, suffer for the sake of the church. You see, history, <coughs> history tells us that 11 out of the 12 disciples died for the name of Jesus. They died for the truth of the resurrection. They died for the sake of the church. They did experience the cup of suffering. They did. They were baptised in Jesus' death in that way. So, what then is greatness in the kingdom of God? What does it look like? What does honour look like in Jesus' eyes? What's the answer? Well, I'm going to give it to you. 
humble service. Walk out the door today and you remember that? I'm a happy man. <laughs> humble service. So let's think about greatness in the kingdom of God. Verse 42, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Jesus turns upside down, or we should say right way up, shouldn't we? Right way up. But he turns upside down after thinking about greatness. See, we think greatness is all about personal power and glory. Uh, personal glory or prestige or wealth or ceremony or fame or, or even just confidence and pride. We think that's what being great is about. Maybe we think greatness is about status or making a name for ourselves or lording it over others, making others feel small and unimportant. That would mean I'm great. I've got power. Reminding people of your position or status. Maybe that's what greatness is. But no, no, what does Jesus say? Simply, he says greatness is humble service. Greatness in the kingdom of God, because that's the only greatness that matters. Greatness in the kingdom of God is humble service. Being slave of all. See that challenge? Well, Jesus keeps going. He says to his disciples, Jesus actually says to us, he says to you and I this morning, this is how to be great. Serve. And you don't serve for your own benefit, but serve for the sake of others, valuing others above yourselves. In fact, like Muhammad Ali and Kanye West, sorry, ye, um, like them, but without the misguided arrogance and self-confidence, Jesus says, if you want to be great, be like me. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, be like me, and now I'll show you how. Verse 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. In Jesus' death for our sin, as he died in our place, taking the punishment for our sin that we deserved. You see, sin is our rejection of God. Everyone does it. But Jesus died on the cross for that sin. And he died... For our rejection of God, taking that punishment, he died as God's king. He died as God's ruler. And he served us, paying the price for our sin. He paid the ransom for that rejection of God. That means that we could be set free. That we could be set free of all that we've done wrong, of our distance from God, of our rejection of God, of the punishment that we deserve. That ransom is paid. The chains have been broken. We can be set free by our Lord Jesus. We're forgiven. And we're no longer enemies of God, but we're friends with God. In his humiliation, God's King, Jesus, gave up his power, his place, his status, his honour to serve. To serve, to, not to be served. If you've got Philippians 2, I've got up there actually. Philippians 2 verse 6, who, in, who being, speaking of Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, slave, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, what seems like absolute foolishness 
to your friends, to your family who don't know Jesus, to the world around us, what seems like absolute foolishness and weakness actually is great power, great honour. It's greatness when we look at that cross of Jesus Christ. And it's the wisdom and greatness of God's King we see at the cross of Christ. But of course, history tells us that Jesus did not stay dead, did he? No, no. In fulfilment of his prediction in verse 34 of chapter 10 of Mark, that in three days he'll rise, Jesus indeed did rise, didn't he? He rose from the dead. Death could not hold him down. One of the great songs we sing at Easter time. Probably sing, should sing it more often, should we? Uh, and that, so, up on the screen here, verse 9, from Philippians 2. Therefore, therefore, God, did, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Whether you like it or not, you're going to bow to King Jesus. Every knee will bow. In heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge, I, I know this by saying, confess is the old, old NIV, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm into that. Well, friends, here's what I want to do for the next just a couple of minutes. Before we pray and have a time for questions or comments or anything, um, and I hope you've scribbled a few things down if you want to ask, ask something. I want to finish our time together um, with some simple practical guidance about how we can humbly serve one another here at church and in our church community as brothers and sisters in Christ. What I want us to do is, as we prepare ourselves for action, go to Philippians 2 again, <coughs> by doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, let's value others above ourselves, not looking to our own interests but to the interests of others. Uh, in our relationships with one another, let's have the same mindset as Jesus. That's, what, that's what's guiding us today. So, in your bulletins, uh, you should have seen our bulletins in, in 8am, my goodness, it was a weighty tome. It was about 10 pages, but today you've only got three bits of paper. Um, so, in your bulletins, you'll find a, a ticker box style form that we'd love you to consider, to pray about, and to uh, actually take home. Take home and return it next week or in the coming weeks. Um, although, if you'd like to, you can return it uh, today. There's a white box right straight in front of the name tag walls. And thank you for those people wearing the name tags. Oh, I'm not wearing my name tag. Uh, somewhere at home, I'm sorry. My name's Graham, by the way. You don't know me. Um, so, if you're a member here and you're, you're um, uh, keen to serve, and I hope you are, if you are a member, we don't have a membership program or anything like that, but part of our expectations of of being a member, of calling this your church home, is that you serve. And we do that um, because of what we've just been reading in Mark 10 and Philippians 2. So, put your name on it, and then um, and your contact details will be great. And really, you can just sort of tick a box where you'd like to serve. Um, it's sort of helpful, really, if you're already serving somewhere and want to continue doing that, just tick a box anyway. It sort of helps us to start again. We do this sort of once or twice a year, so it's, it's sort of significant in our planning. And it's very helpful in, in terms of working out who can do what. So, uh, but what I want to do, I just want to take a moment to highlight uh, a couple opportunities, and there's lots of opportunities there, but I want to highlight a couple opportunities where the need is, is greatest right now. That might help you to think through your decisions. But I guess before we say even that, simple service in our relationships, that's, that's, the, that's a key. Simple service in our relationships as we serve as Jesus has served us. 
that's, um, that's, that shapes and moulds all that we do, right? And then you can boil that down and love each other. Um, it, it's not rocket science, but it is tricky sometimes. And that's what guides us. Okay, so here's some ways that we can love each other and serve each other. Uh, let me just talk about Kids Church for a moment. Um, Kids Church, uh, well, we need teachers who, who are going to uh, support these young people as they grow and trust in Jesus more and more. We need helpers. And I can tell you, you'll be trained. Uh, we're not going to just sort of leave you out there and say, good luck. We're not going to do that. We're going to help you, train you. Um, and uh, Beck's going to look after that. Beck does a wonderful job. Uh, she's very good at that. We're not going to leave you on your own. But we do need some help. So if you think you can help with that, um, then tick that box. You want to ask some questions about it, you can talk to Beck or talk to me if you like. Um, where there's a comment or questions thing at the back too, we can get back to you. The same goes for crash. Uh, we need some helpers in crash. Uh, we've got two sort of crashes, one for younger ones, one for older ones. Um, but these kids' ministries are just so valuable to our young parents. Can I reiterate that to you, encourage you some more? It means that they don't, if, if others are stepping in and serving and looking after these young ones and teaching them the Word of God, it means that those young parents don't have to miss sermons week in, week out. And that's what often happens. Uh, it wasn't that long ago with Michelle and I that in that stage of life, um, we remember missing sermons, uh, missing church even, because of young kids. So uh, if you can help in that way, that would be great. And that means our young parents can also grow in God's Word and be encouraged. Uh, Another one that there's a bit of a need there, a few gaps in the roster. You could say, if you want to help out with morning tea, it doesn't have to be um, really fancy, although we had a few bit of fancy stuff the last couple of weeks. Um, but that's all right. If you want to go, if you want to do that, you can. Um, but also it can be really simple. The great thing about morning tea is that we sit around and, and chat and talk to each other. And it's a great blessing. We missed it for quite a long time now that we can do it. Okay. Um, also, one more thing too, there's something else to, to, to tick, is our... Um, there's, there's opportunities to do some cleaning and so not only after the service but also during the week um, if you think you can help in that way maybe put your name down for once a month or once every six weeks um, that would just be fantastic now the toilets don't get cleaned once a month I'm glad to know there are already others who help with that but um, uh, if you can help that way that would be excellent all the cleaning stuff's here you just got to pop in during the, during the week and uh, clean the, clean the first sort of the toilets and the sewer around here ok if you have any questions with that let me know. Um, this is important as we plan, as we serve each other. Practical help. Read it over, pray about it, return it next week or the week after. We're going to email out a soft copy. This is a hard copy to you all during the week because I think there's every chance that between your seat here and when you sit in the car, you might have already lost it. So um, that happens, doesn't it? In fact, over at AM, there are about three left over. What? Um, so you might lose it. We're going to email one out. And then the next couple of weeks, just drop it in the big box at the back, and then we'll, we'll put together um, some ways we can serve that. All right, how about I pray? And then we'll see if there's any questions or comments from the passages we looked at, or any words of encouragement, anything like that. Father, for your uh, goodness and mercy, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you gave yourself up for us. God, we thank you that, God, we thank you, that you sent your only one and only Son, so that whoever believes in you will not perish but have eternal life. <clears throat> Father, we pray that that uh, sacrifice for us would instill in us a sacrifice for each other. As we respond to your love for us, we pray that we love each other. In Jesus' name we pray.